Chapter Twenty Three of Indian Summer by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Colville went back to his room and spent a good deal of time in the contemplation of a suit of clothes adapted to the season, which had been sent home from the tailor's just before Mister Waters came in. The coat was of the lightest serge, the trousers of a pearly grey tending to lavender, the waistcoat of cool white duck. On his way home from Palazzo Pinti, he had stopped in Via Tornabuoni and bought some silk gauze neckties of a tasteful gaiety of tint, which he at the time thought very well of. But now, as he spread out the whole array on his bed, it seemed too emblematic of a light and blameless spirit for his wear. He ought to put on something as nearly analogous to sackcloth as a modern stock of dry goods afforded. He ought at least to wear the grave materials of his winter costume, but they were really insupportable in this sudden access of summer. Besides, he had grown thin during his sickness, and the things bagged about him. If he were going to see Mrs. Bowen that evening, he ought to go in some decent shape. It was perhaps providential that he had failed to find her at home in the morning, when he had ventured thither in the clumsy attire in which he had been loafing about her drawing-room for the past week. He now owed it to her to appear before her as well as he could. How charmingly punctilious she always was herself! As he put on his new clothes, he felt the moral support which the becomingness of dress alone can give. With the blue silk gauze lightly tied under his collar, and the lapels of his thin coat thrown back to admit his thumbs to his waistcoat pockets, he felt almost cheerful before his glass. Should he shave? As once before this important question occurred to him. His thinness gave him some advantages of figure, but he thought that it made his face older. What effect would cutting off his beard have upon it? He had not seen the lower part of his face for fifteen years. No one could say what recent ruin of a double chin might not be lurking there. He decided not to shave, at least till after dinner, and after dinner he was too impatient for his visit to brook the necessary delay. He was shown into the salotto alone, but Effie Bowen came running in to meet him. She stopped suddenly, bridling. "'You never expected to see me looking quite so pretty,' said Colville, tracing the cause of her embarrassment to his summer splendour. "'Where is your mamma? "'She is in the dining-room,' replied the child, getting hold of his hand. "'She wants you to come and have coffee with us.' "'By all means. Not that I haven't had coffee already, though.' She led the way, looking up at him shyly over her shoulder as they went. Mrs. Bowen rose, napkin and lap, and gave him a hand of welcome. "'How are you feeling to-day?' she asked, politely ignoring his finery. "'Like a new man,' he said. And then he added, to relieve the strain of the situation, "'Of the best tailor's make in Florence.' "'You look very well,' she smiled. "'Oh, I always do when I take pains,' said Colville. "'The trouble is that I don't always take pains. But I thought I would to-night, in upon a lady.' "'Effie will feel very much flattered,' said Mrs. Bowen. "'Don't refuse a portion of the satisfaction,' he cried. "'Oh, is it for me, too?' This gave Colville consolation, which no religion or philosophy could have brought him, and his pleasure was not marred but rather heightened by the little pangs of expectation, bred by long custom, that from moment to moment Imogene would appear. 
she did not appear and a thrill of security succeeded upon each alarm he wished her well with all his heart such is the human heart that he wished her arrived home the betrothed of that excellent that wholly unobjectionable young man mr morton will you have a little of the ice before your coffee asked mrs bowen proposing one of the moulded creams with her spoon yes thank you perhaps i will take it in place of the coffee they forgot to offer us any ice at the table d'hote this evening this is rather luxurious for us said mrs bowen it's a compromise with effie she wanted me to take her to jacoz's this afternoon i thought you would come whispered the child to colville her mother made a little face of mock surprise at her don't give yourself away effie why let us go to jacoz's too said colville taking the ice we shall be the only foreigners there and we shall not even feel ourselves foreign it's astonishing how the hot weather has dispersed the tourists i didn't see a baedeker on the whole way up here and i walked down via tornabuoni across through porta rosso and the piazza della signoria and the uffizi you've no idea how comfortable and homelike it was all the statues loafing about in their shirt-sleeves and the objects of interest stretching and yawning round and having a good rest after their winter's work effie understood colville's way of talking well enough to enjoy this her mother did not laugh walked she asked certainly why not you are getting well again you'll soon be gone too i've got well but as to being gone there's no hurry i rather think i shall wait now to see how long you stay we may keep you all summer said mrs bowen dropping her eyelids indifferently oh very well all summer it is then mr waters is going to stay and he is such a very cool old gentleman that i don't think one need fear the wildest antics of the mercury where he is when colville had finished his ice mrs bowen led the way to the salotto and they all sat down by the window there and watched the sunset die on san miniato the bronze copy of michelangelo's david in the piazzale below the church blackened in perfect relief against the pink sky and then faded against the grey while they talked they were so domestic that colville realized with difficulty that this was an image of what might be rather than what really was the very ease with which he could apparently close his hand upon the happiness within his grasp unnerved him the talk strayed hither and thither and went and came aimlessly a sound of singing floated in from the kitchen and effie eagerly asked her mother if she might go and see madalena madalena's mother had come to see her and she was from the mountains yes go said mrs bowen but don't stay too long oh i will be back in time said the child and colville remembered that he had proposed going to jacoz's yes don't forget he had forgotten it himself madalena is the cook explained mrs bowen she sings ballads to effie that she learned from her mother and i suppose effie wants to hear them at first hand oh yes said colville dreamily they were alone now and each little silence seemed freighted with a meaning deeper than speech have you seen mr waters to-day asked mrs bowen after one of these lapses yes he came this afternoon he is a very strange old man i should think he would be lonely here 
he seems not to be he says he finds company in the history of the place and his satisfaction at having got out of haddam east village is perennial but he will want to go back there before he dies i don't know he thinks not he's a strange old man as you say he has the art of putting all sorts of ideas into people's heads do you know what we talked about this afternoon no i don't murmured mrs bowen about you and he encouraged me to believe imagine that i might speak to you ask tell you that i loved you lina he leaned forward and took one of the hands that lay in her lap it trembled with a violence inconceivable in relation to the perfect quiet of her attitude but she did not try to take it away could you do you love me yes she whispered but here she sprang up and slipped from his hold altogether as with an inarticulate cry of rapture he released her hand to take her in his arms he followed her a pace or two and you will will be my wife he pursued eagerly never she answered and now colville stopped short while a cold bewilderment bathed him from head to foot it must be some sort of jest though he could not tell where the humour was and he could not treat it otherwise than seriously lina i have loved you from the first moment that i saw you this winter and heaven knows how long before yes i know that and every moment oh i know that too even if i had no sort of hope that you cared for me i loved you so much that i must tell you before we parted i expected that i intended it you intended it and you do love me and yet you won't ah i don't understand how could you understand i love you i blush and burn for shame to think that i love you but i will never marry you i can at least help doing that and i can still keep some little trace of self-respect how you must really despise me to think of anything else after all that has happened did you suppose that i was merely waiting till that poor girl's back was turned as you were oh how can you be yourself and still be yourself yes jenny wheelwright was right you were too much of a mixture theodore colville her calling him so showed how often she had thought of him so too much for her too much for imogene too much for me too much for any woman except some wretched creature who enjoys being trampled on and dragged through the dust as you have dragged me i dragged you through the dust there hasn't been a moment in the past six months when i wouldn't have rolled myself in it to please you oh i knew that well enough and you think that was flattering to me that has nothing to do with it i only know that i love you and that i couldn't help wishing to show it even when i wouldn't acknowledge it to myself that is all and now when i am free to speak and you own that you love me you won't i give it up he cried desperately but in the next breath he implored why do you drive me from you lina because you have humiliated me too much she was perfectly steady but he knew her so well that in the twilight he knew what bitterness there must be in the smile which she must be keeping on her lips i was here in the place of her mother her best friend and you made me treat her like an enemy you made me betray her and cast her off i 
yes you i knew from the very first that you did not really care for her that you were playing with yourself as you were playing with her and i ought to have warned her it appears to me you did warn her said colville with some resentful return of courage i tried she said simply and it made it worse it made it worse because i knew that i was acting for my own sake more than hers because i wasn't disinterested there was something in this explanation serious tragic as it was to mrs bowen which made colville laugh she might have had some perception of its effect to him or it may have been merely from a hysterical helplessness but she laughed too a little but why he gathered courage to ask do you still dwell upon that mr waters told me that mr morton that there was he is mistaken he offered himself and she refused him he told me oh do you think she would do otherwise with you lying here between life and death no you can have no hope from that colville in fact had none this blow crushed and dispersed him he had not strength enough to feel resentment against mr waters for misleading him with this ignis fatuus no one warned him and it came to that said mrs bowen it was of a piece with the whole affair i was weak in that too colville did not attempt to reply on this point he feebly reverted to the inquiry regarding himself and was far enough from mirth in resuming it i couldn't imagine he said that you cared anything for me when you warned another against me if i could you put me in a false position from the beginning i ought to have sympathized with her and helped her instead of making the poor child feel that somehow i hated her i couldn't even put her on guard against herself though i knew all along that she didn't really care for you but was just in love with her own fancy for you even after you were engaged i ought to have broken it off i ought to have been frank with her it was my duty but i couldn't without feeling that i was acting for myself too and i would not submit to that degradation no i would rather have died i dare say you don't understand how could you you are a man and the kind of man who couldn't at every point you made me violate every principle that was dear to me i loathed myself for caring for a man who was in love with me when he was engaged to another don't think it was gratifying to me it was detestable and yet i did let you see that i cared for you yes i even tried to make you care for me falsely cruelly treacherously you didn't have to try very hard said colville with a sort of cold resignation to his fate oh no you were quite ready for any hint i could have told her for her own sake that she didn't love you but that would have been for my sake too and i would have told you if i hadn't cared for you and known how you cared for me i've saved at least the consciousness of this from the wreck i don't think it's a great treasure said colville i wish that you had saved the consciousness of having been frank even to your own advantage do you dare to reproach me theodore colville but perhaps i've deserved this too no lina you certainly don't deserve it if it's unkindness from me i won't afflict you with my presence but will you listen to me before i go she sank into a chair in sign of assent he also sat down he had a dim impression that he could talk better if he took her hand but he did not venture to ask for it 
he contented himself with fixing his eyes upon as much of her face as he could make out in the dusk a pale blur in a vague outline of dark i want to assure you lina lina my love my dearest as i shall call you for the first and last time that i do understand everything as delicately and fully as you could wish all that you have expressed and all that you have left unsaid i understand how high and pure your ideals of duty are and how heroically angelically you have struggled to fulfil them broken and borne down by my clumsy and stupid selfishness from the start i want you to believe my dearest love you must forgive me that if i didn't see everything at the time i do see it now and that i prize the love you kept from me far more than any love you could have given me to the loss of your self-respect it isn't logic it sounds more like nonsense i'm afraid but you know what i mean by it you are more perfect more lovely to me than any being in the world and i accept whatever fate you choose for me i would not win you against your will if i could you were sacred to me if you say we must part i know that you speak from a finer discernment than mine and i submit i will try to console myself with the thought of your love if i may not have you yes i submit his instinct of forbearance had served him better than the subtlest art his submission was the best defence he rose with a real dignity and she rose also remember he said that i confess all you accuse me of and that i acknowledge the justice of what you do because you do it he put out his hand and took the hand which hung nerveless at her side you are quite right good-bye he hesitated a moment may i kiss you lina he drew her to him and she let him kiss her on the lips good-bye she whispered go i am going Effie Bowen ran into the room from the kitchen. "'Aren't you going to take—' She stopped and turned to her mother. She must not remind Mr. Colville of his invitation. That was what her gesture expressed. Colville would not say anything. He would not seize his advantage and play upon the mother's heart through the feelings of her child, though there is no doubt that he was tempted to prolong the situation by any means. Perhaps Mrs. Bowen divined both the temptation and the resistance. "'Tell her,' she said, and turned away. "'I can't go with you to-night, Effie,' he said, stooping toward her for the inquiring kiss that she gave him. "'I am going away, and I must say good-bye.' The solemnity of his voice alarmed her. "'Going away?' she repeated. "'Yes, away from Florence. I am afraid I shall not see you again.' the child turned from him to her mother again who stood motionless then as if the whole calamitous fact had suddenly flashed upon her she plunged her face against her mother's breast i can't bear it she sobbed out and the reticence of her lamentation told him more than a storm of cries and prayers colville wavered oh you must stay said lina in the self-contemptuous voice of a woman who falls below her ideal of herself. End of chapter 23